This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good afternoon and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Roshan Gunnison, joined in the studio by... It's me, Richard Bradbury. As always in the studio with uh-huh. us. And why does it always sound like a surprise when we begin I this? know, right? And it's me too, Richard Bradbury. Oh, it's me, Roshan Gunnison. <laughs> um, you should by now know that it's going to be either both of us or one of us. Indeed. It is Monday, October the 2nd. And yes, you heard that correct. It is October the 2nd. We have entered the last quarter of 2023. Don't shake your heads. Don't, sound, don't look so disappointed. <laughs> No, it's just blows my mind how quickly this year has gone. And it's just been like one week to the next, one event to the next. Yeah, it's been a crazy year so Speaking far. Speaking of events. Indeed. In two weeks' time, we've got BFM's Enterprise Breakaway that's happening on Thursday October the 19th at Vertical Banks of South. We're going to be exploring a whole bunch of things, Rich, uh, including things like, you know, latest trends in the startup ecosystem. Of course, funding is going to be a big conversation, mm-hmm. which is something we're touching on today. Uh, AI, green, uh, the ability to uh, profitability is being green profitable, uh, as well as digitalization, which is an ongoing conversation today, tomorrow, and next year. Um, I think we are also running a competition for people. We who are tickets, running correct? a competition, yes, uh, folks. Some people have already um, uh, uh, messaged in a little bit earlier on today. So the question that we're asking today, and we'll ask it all the way through the show, of course, is uh, to win a pair of tickets. Answer this question correctly. A tech startup is considered a unicorn when it hits a valuation of $100 million. Is that true or false? Let us know via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number, 018-789-8899. Now, as a preview to the event today, we're shedding some light on one of the panel discussions that will be happening then on the topic of the death of cheap money and how to navigate (laughs) the current funding winter. And this, of course, on the back of the rise of interest rates, which has led to a higher cost of capital, more conservative early stage investing, and, of course, depressed value in the private markets for startups. If you have any thoughts on this or if you have an answer to our question earlier, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile number. That's 018-789-8899. Or you can reach us on X at BFM Radio. Joining us for this discussion today are two special guests who aren't allowed to answer the question because they should know (laughs) the answer. We've got Ung Sai Kit, Director at Artem uh, Ventures, as well as the Chairperson for the Malaysian Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. We've also got Angel Lo. She's the Managing Partner at Growth Charger, as well as the principal at the Hive Southeast Asia. Angel, Saikit, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Angel? Thanks for having me here. Pleasure. Yeah, again, no answers to the questions. Again, don't don't spoil the the competition for everyone else who's listening. We've already got answers coming in. Brilliant, brilliant. And we have our first one that's coming in. um, True. True? Could be. Well, we'll see. Number um, ending 6308. We'll get um, to those in We're a not second. going to comment on whether it's uh, correct or incorrect, although the tone of my voice may have given it away. All right, first questions first. Um, <laughs> the rise in interest rates has caused the, the cost of capital for startups to increase. Angel, maybe we'll start with you with this. Why has this made it more difficult for startups to raise funds? That's a really good question. Um, I hope I... You know the answer, right? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Let me give you a really simple analogy, right? So let's assume that we make 10 ringgit, right? Previously, my cost of borrowing was like 4 ringgit. Let's Mm. just assume that, right? On the 3rd of May, 2023, Bank Nagara suddenly lifted its overnight policy rate by 25 basis points to 3%. So right now, instead of 4 ringgit, I need to increase my cost of borrowing to 5 ringgit. So let's look back. Last time I have six ringgit to spend and right now I only have five ringgit to spend. So you see there, with one ringgit lesser, I would definitely evaluate on how I spend 
mm. and to get the best value of all the, the five ringgit I have in my hand, right? Mm. So in the investment world, it's the same. You know, we evaluate. You know, we do in-depth due diligence to to really uh, deploy investments into in, into investments that actually you know can bring more value, mm. right? So. You know, with with us, you know, we do of course conduct more due diligence to really ensure that you know, especially what you pre- represent yourself on the outside is really what you are in the inside. However, what I wanted to say here is that you know this should be even the case, especially even when money is cheap. You know, fund managers we are managing investors' hard-earned money here. You know, there's no play play around, yeah, guys. <laughs> Psychic, you know, uh, when we talk about venture capitals, uh, capitalists, uh, and angel investors, how have they had to adapt to these uh, their investment strategies? I guess to thrive in a higher cost of capital environment. I think at the end of the day, it's about you know um, when when we make make announcement um, on investments. Typically, we look at you know the the longer term horizon, right? Mm. So, a typical investment horizon for a venture capitalist is about five 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 years, right? So so. Essentially, when when we look at the the investment decision and whatnot, right? We we typically we look at you know what's going to be the 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 exit horizon five years from now. So now, what what affects um, the 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 decision that we are looking at uh, typical investment opportunity opportunity now is that you know we do a lot of benchmarking against um, what's happening in the public. Yeah, so um, just to pick up the, the same question earlier on about the interest rate uh, effect on uh, venture capital investment is that, you know, it has an impact, a severe impact on the public market tech stocks, right? We are mm-hmm. talking about generally, you know, tech, tech investment. So, so if the public market uh, comms or comparables have dropped, significantly will Im- impact What's the outlook of our investment? Hence, you know, we do a lot of adjustment as to what we expect um, and how do we negotiate you know, going into a deal. Mm. Yeah. Um, Angel, anything you want to add to that in terms of how the investment strategies have to adapt and change to the higher cost of capital environment? I guess like from, from our side, right, um, in terms of really adapting our strategies, you know, to thrive in a higher cost of uh, capital environment. You know, it's so much more easier, um, I guess, for right now, when especially when money is cheap, right? So, uh, sorry, when money is re- expensive right now, and we really, really, uh, you know, really evaluate like two to three times more. Like, uh, actually, even on top of that, right, um, really buying using your same money and buy the best value out of it is really, really important. And I think I would really like to emphasize this more on the, the other different questions that you've raised uh, on especially growth at all costs. Maybe we can speak more about it over there. Yeah, so I guess the big question is, you know, we talk about uh, investing money well and all of that, but the growth at all costs mentality was tolerated before this mm-hmm. and it did feel that there was a formal factor before this. It was pushed heavily as well. Yeah, so talk to us about that, Angel. The Why was the growth at all costs mentality tolerated before mm-hmm. this? Right. So let's look back at... Um Right when when you first receive the investments, right, the easiest way to hit the numbers is really to push f- for sales, mm. uh, especially to hit the numbers that you need for the next round of fundraising, right. So, in terms of valuation, right, from seed to pre-series A, you pretty much can get away with you know having low tractions and so forth, and series A and above, 
it's really, really all about numbers, right? That's just, um, you know, like New York-based CB Insights has really said in a report, you know, among top 20 primary reasons that startups fail is because they run out of cash. And as startup founders, I think it's especially when you are the head of the company, the leader in the company, and, you know, you have a team of people to feed and so forth. You really make sure that you're really on top of all these different things, right? And especially when you raise a lot of money, suddenly you've never seen so much money before. It's really easy for them to get distracted and to spend in unnecessary expenses. Mm. An example, uh, Pretty nice office space, Google perks for employees, mm. huge promos to get signups from customers, right? And for whatever reasons, and when growth starts to slow down, all that capital quickly disappear. And now, right, more investors putting into more emphasis into return on investments and profitability. The unit of economics have to make sense. Mm. So it's really simple here. Don't spend more than what you earn, mm. right? Uh, another analogy that I would like to use is uh, before pouring in the gas, make sure that the engine always works. <laughs> so, okay. you got any more to add to that? Well, I guess at the end of the day, it's about uh, also you know how how the entire um, um, funding ecosystem works. Yeah. yeah. So, so at any point in time, you have multiple players at different stage. So, at essentially, you know, with the f- with uh, free money almost. Right, the game was practically chasing after valuation after valuation, and hopefully, you know, it's like a, a greater fool at the, at the end of the road. Right, we'll pick it up, and uh, that's that's how I think the early stage investors will celebrate. Um, it's pretty much how how we actually use um, capital to chase after the growth and uh, basically buying time. Yeah, it's a shortcut to to glory. Right, but um, if if that that doesn't happen anymore, then then the whole ecosystem will have to change the game plan, and uh, hence you know back to the fundamentals. Now we hear so much about path to profitability, sustainability, all comes into work. Yeah, mm. but it was different before. Uh, Saikia, we're going to touch a, bit, a little bit more on that, including things like path to profitability and how important that's become in a little bit. Uh, as a preview, folks, as a preview to Enterprise Breakaway that's happening on Thursday, October 19th, today on BizBytes, we're getting into one of the key topics from the event that's going to come up. Uh, that's the death of cheap money and how to navigate the funding winter. Helping us with this has been Angel Lowe, the principal at the Hive Southeast Asia, as well as Ung Saikit, director at Atom Ventures. This is Enterprise BizBytes. We'll be back in just a bit here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Best flipping moments. BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Hey, folks, welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. That was Morrissey with First of the Gang to Die. I'm sure that's not making any allusions to the startup ecosystem and the funding climate that we are currently in. Uh, as a preview to Enterprise Breakaway happening on Thursday, October the 19th, today on BizBytes, we are exploring one of the key topics from the event. That's the death of cheap money and how to navigate the current funding winter. In fact, Rich, I think in front of you, we're running a competition uh, for folks to win tickets to the conference 
conference. Uh, what are we asking? We're everybody? asking a very simple question, ladies and gentlemen, uh, some of which the answers uh, you've already got wrong. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you who's got it wrong. The question is, though, very simply, a tech startup is considered a unicorn when it hits a valuation of $100 million. Is that true or false? Send in your name and your email address to 018-789-8899. There you go. Helping us with our conversation today in the studio is Ung Saikit, Director at Artem Ventures and the Chairman of the Malaysia Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. We've also got in the studio with us Angel Lowe, Managing Partner at Growth Charger, as well as the Principal at the Hive Southeast Asia. So, Angel, Saikit, earlier we were just getting a bit of the basic situation, you know, why interest rates caused the cost of capital to go up, what the situation has been like, and earlier on, why the growth at all cost mentality was tolerated. So, now, given the current funding environment, the new funding environment, uh, tell us a little bit about what VCs and capital allocators are looking for in startups aside from a clear path to profitability. Uh, Saikit, let's start with you. I guess, well, what what came out quite frequently these days are uh, really, you know, us asking questions about how a startup will address the environmental, social and governance aspect here. Um, it has started with the public market and now is um, permeating into the private uh, sector mm-hmm. side, right? Um, typically with, I think, even some of the agencies of the government, the likes of Securities Commission, they have been working quite tirelessly in terms of um, publishing guidelines for uh, small and medium businesses. How do they adopt uh, pretty simplified um, ESG disclosure is essentially just just to get a, a hang of how um, a, tip, a startup measure themselves against their impact right as they operate mm. right so similarly at the um, at our side you know uh, MBCA is also looking into this aspect as well in terms of uh, what we will be doing in, in capacity building, yeah? introducing this topic to our uh, portfolio companies right? Um, uh, by partnering with uh, experts in the market and all that. So that, that certainly will, will come up uh, from, from the get-go. Right? Another aspect um, which I probably want to touch on is really about you know, having our our founders to start looking at regional from day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so important, particularly for our Malaysian uh, founders, right? Because often than not, you know, if you look at the funding landscape, right, Malaysia has been way down below the pack, yeah, in terms of, you know, we always rank behind some of the neighbours, you know. So we Singapore first, then Indonesia, and then, then Malaysia. Vietnam, Philippines, or whatnot, right? So, so I guess, I guess the, 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 the issue here is that, you know, um, our Malaysian founders are too timid in the sense. They don't t- think too big. Mm. Yeah, so most of the time have this uh, what we call a, a SME mentality, which I I think personally I like to encourage everyone to think big, mm. right? Because as a founder, you know you, you guys are, are really spending the next of your five years into building this stuff. Life is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Why go and settle with something so mediocre? Why do you think that? SME kind of mentality permeates. Why do you think it's stuck around for so long? Well, I, I, I suppose at the end of the day, it's culturally, we are not very aggressive. You know, we are not combative kind of person. Right, right. right? Um, we, we are pretty much happy, you know, with what we have, really contented with, I guess, you know, the country is so blessed, right, with with plenty of resources. Um, well, the, the, the stability is there and the environment is, you know, is pretty okay. 
So I guess people here are not um, hungry enough, right? I was just talking to someone who just returned from China, having having some uh, 10 years right, operating a fund management, asset management outfit over there. You know, the question that I asked him over dinner, even just, just over the weekend, I said, you know, what, what does it feel for you to come back here, right? As a Malaysian back to back here, settling down. He said, suddenly he felt his pace is so slow. <laughs> yeah, mm. right. Why? I think one of the one of the the, the observation that he said that you no, know, our, our people are not hungry enough. Yeah. So, I hope you know things things would change, right? And uh, with a bit of encouragement, is is going to be there. At the same time as well, I think it it, it takes both sides to, to 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 clap, right? So, from the the other aspect, I would also like to see more uh, uh, capital allocation happening at the early stage because that's where we will we will nurture the upstart, right? If you don't have enough of supply of capital in the market, right? Then then you know we probably won't see enough of these uh, uh, brilliant people who has got really deep insight into a specific problem. Mm. They might have a really good solution coming out. So I guess. You know, both both sides has to happen. Mm. Yeah. So therefore, I think, um, yeah, these these are some of the common uh, topics and also issues that that we talk about almost every day. Mm. Is it, sorry, was it the same with you, Angel? Like SDGs and, and SME mentalities? Are these the things that you're kind of encountering regularly? So and do, th- do you think this is going to change anytime soon? So I think there's a few different ways of running a business or even for startups, right? There is the startup where they are always looking after growth and then there is the other type of companies where they are, uh, you know, going after slow growth, right? So, I mean, like, there's really no right or wrong in both ways. By the end of the day, it really depends on which route the founder wants to be in. You, you can actually go to the venture capital route where, you know, high growth and so forth and always all about numbers and so forth. There is also the other world where it's all about profitability, margins, and so forth, right? So let's um, let me give you an example. So, do you think that if Farm Fresh were to be funded, um, were to be looking for an investor, do you think it would work in the VC space? Probably doesn't, right? I mean, it took them so long, mm. right? So there are really multiple ways of building a business. There's no right or wrong towards it. And it is okay to choose either one. This is what I really want to say to uh, people that are running their own business out there. Now, uh, but speaking as a capital allocator, um, what are you guys looking for, given this current funding environment in startups? So I think going back to, you know, money right now is quite difficult to get, right? So really, a low, like a low burn multiple would be great. So for those that don't understand what is a burn multiple, right? It's typically a measurement of how good a company is in generating revenue by using its cash. So example, if I were to spend one ringgit to, buy, uh, to acquire a customer, how much am I getting it back? I think as a company founder, you really need to monitor all these mm-hmm. things. So why... Is it important for startups to track these multiples, right? First and foremost, really by tracking all these different burn multiples, startup can really know where the money is coming from, where the money is going. It helps in properly management, uh, managing your cash. And at the same time, you know, if you know where, which projects and so forth generates the highest return, you invest more in that. Mm. So 
I, I guess like it's easier said than done. I've seen a lot of companies where they don't really have these kind of metrics when we wanted to ask for 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 these numbers, right? So keep keep your numbers and do track all these numbers. It's really important to make good decisions as a leader. I guess these numbers are also important mm-hmm. to show whether you're putting money in the right places, whether you're using your capital efficiency, mm-hmm. and whether you're not you're not subsidizing growth as well, right? These are some of the key concerns uh, out there in the environment now. Uh, and speaking of the environment, I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not expecting both of you to have a crystal ball for this answer, but just give us a sense of how you're looking at it. Um, Saikit, how long do you think this current funding environment is going to go on for? I, no pressure. <laughs> I, I would probably say that, you know, the, the era of zero interest is going to be gone for good. Zerp is dead. Yeah, is dead, right? It, you know, if you look at it, right, what, what brought us to here today was the cause of a big blow up, right? Mm. The global financial crisis where you have all the massive quantitative easing going mm. in with zero interest and basically, you know, all the stimulus packages going in. Right, but now, you know, as as we have gone into how many years, right? Twelve, maybe more than that, right? We're talking about almost fifteen years. Yeah, now. fifteen years. You know, it can't go on forever. So I think here you are looking at how to tighten up. Everybody is just expecting that. Okay, you know, when is it going to stop in terms of the interest rate hike? As we, I mean, as we speak now, right? You know, we we were earlier on speculating that okay, we're going to have a so-called uh, soft landing. But if you look at some of the news today, right, now it's not so rosy anymore. Mm. So so every mm. everyone is looking at, you know, how volatile this whole market is. It's also be partly also driven by the inflation pressure. Mm-hmm. And uh, and somewhat, you know, two countries actually has the key to this, right? The Russia and Saudi, right? Mm. <laughs> Depending on how, how loose they want the tap, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. we, we've been talking about, you know, massive growth, growth at all costs and all, all of these kind of things. But when you've got these companies who have had really intense growth trajectories. But now, without that access to cheap money, how do they then continue this, you know, hockey stick kind of growth? Well, I I, I think perhaps just to probably look at it uh, in perspective, right? Where where are we sitting as, this, as a region, Southeast Asia? I think in the past, uh, probably... Two three years, even ever since the uh, the pandemic, right? We have been hearing news about you know funds accumulating more and more dry powder, mm. right? But we have not seen them deploying. Mm. So on the in the sense that you know there are probably two possibility here, which I have no privy to. You know there could be one one reason why uh, we haven't seen much activities is that some LPs are having a bit of COVID, mm. right? Because of the the interest rate environment. So that's one possibility. Secondly is about, you know, I think investors are also waiting on the sideline to see some stability because the moment that you commit and you have the volatility of the public market and the environment, uh, the economic environment moving in such a way that you can't predict, it's, it's not good for us, mm. right? So, so a, a lot of times are, are being spent to kind of sit down there and really look at, are we at the end of the up cycle or mm. can we really commit? Because we need that predictability. If we don't have that, then it's going to add another variation to the investment outcome because mm. investing into startup itself is already a high risk. So we try to eliminate all these factors and then make our, our, our decision a bit easier, right? Um, Angel, your thoughts on how long this environment will go on for? I definitely agree with what Saikid have to say, right? Um, 
you know, it's it's probably going to last about like 18 months to even 24 months. But, you know, what startups can do is really to prevent or, or to to prepare for the economic downturn, right? There are really many ways that we, uh, you know, especially as a business owner on how you can prepare for a downturn. Example, uh, now when a recession hits, it gets a lot harder to raise capital. Mm. So you really need to extend your runway. So plan to survive on the capital you have uh, currently, right? So only spend the money to make your product or your service better and no more nice to have kind of expenses. Scale back on new initiatives and stuff like that. And then, you know, there are other ways as well. And, you know, looking forward to share more as well during our upcoming summit. That's yeah. a great uh, forward self to the summit. Uh, very quickly, though, um, balancing the, uh, we asked Saikit a little bit about uh, growth trajectories and, you know, how do we continue growth tra- uh, trajectories for startups given the lack of cheap money? Any thoughts on that? So I think um, from from my experience is that, you know, the post-COVID era has definitely been an eye-opener for many, many, many startups out there <laughs> that the importance of building a sustainable business model is re- that it's not reliant to just VC money is important. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as a founder as well, I believe that this challenging environment has also presented new opportunities for you know startups to rethink their growth strategies. You know, building a business model that is focusing on long-term success, right? And then out of nowhere, maybe start some startups coming to me. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, author Robert Kiyosaki mentioned to me that you need to get more debt to make more money. But he also mentioned there is good debt and bad debt. You need to, yeah. you really need to evaluate that part, right? By prioritizing revenue generation, cost management. I believe like a lot of startups can actually flourish. And I think one of the one seems to be a key misunderstanding between the startups that know and the startups who maybe a bit don't know. Uh, get, don't know whether my phrasing is correct there. We'll find that out later. Uh, but it's essentially that funding should be used as a way to, once you have your product market fit, to scale that business right. and to continue growing as opposed to subsidizing your growth, which has maybe been something in the cheap money era has become something that some businesses have relied on. Uh, we're going through a few messages now. Uh, folks, as a preview to Enterprise Breakaway happening on Thursday, October 19th. Today on BizBytes, we've been talking about the death of cheap money and how to navigate the funding winter. We'll be back in just a bit, so keep it here to Enterprise BizBytes on BFM 89.9, the business station. Beyond Frivolous Mishmash, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. That was Letters to Clear with Because of You. And I'm sure many startups are looking at the funding environment and saying, because of you, I don't have money to grow. <laughs> um, as a preview to Enterprise Breakaway happening on Thursday, October the 19th, today on Biz Bites, we're getting into one of the key topics of the event and in fact uh, of the year, the death of cheap money and how to navigate the funding winter. Helping us with this conversation has been Angel Lowe. She's the managing partner of Growth Charge as well as the principal at the South, at the Hive Southeast Asia. We also have in the studio with us Eng Sai Kit. He's the director at Artem Ventures and chairman of the Malaysia Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. Um, Sai Kit, Angel, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about, you know, what interest rates, uh, the increase in interest rates have done, uh, how startups have had to adapt, and what the new funding environment, what VCs are looking for in the new funding environment from uh, startups. Um now, with early stage investors becoming and capital allocators becoming more selective, I guess the key question that many founders and entrepreneurs are going to want to know is how best can they demonstrate their value 
uh, and the value of their ventures to secure funding because there is funding still being deployed, but I guess it's just being done in a more selective uh, manner. Uh, Sakit? I probably would start with, you know, just don't stop short at coming in with a PowerPoint. (laughs) (laughs) Really, you know, it it, it takes a lot more for us to, to decide now. We need a lot more data points, right? Essentially, what we are looking into an opportunity is to see how well the founder can demonstrate to us that he has done or he or she right has done the homework mm. yeah homework in the sense that you know whether has there been any early signs that whatever solutions that you're building right there is a market there is a demand for it you know um, i think in the past you've probably often see a lot of uh, founders coming in and say that okay i'm going to do this and this it looks so cool and ultimately <laughs> you know what they have was actually a, a solution looking for a problem yeah um at, back in the days when when the market was so competitive trying to get into the deal and get news flow and whatnot right even for vc Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you certainly get blindsided a little bit, right? There were mistakes. But um, moving forward, I think now we need to be a lot more careful. And therefore, you know, um, all the um, data points will, 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 take in, will be taken into consideration. And secondly, also is to um, have a clear strategy, right? In terms of how do you navigate from where you are today, assuming it's an early stage, right? This is the topic. So... Now, from what you have now, right, what kind of path do you create for yourself to continue to validate some of the hypotheses that you have built? Yeah, I think that that requires a bit of a discipline in terms of, okay, within this couple of months, I'm going to prove one thing and then how am I going to do it efficiently, right? And, and you come back and say, okay, I've done this. This is validated. This doesn't work. I have to change my strategy. I need to find another way to maybe... Um, well, it's the same product, but different usage, different set of problem, right? So it essentially all points to one thing, yeah, product market fit, mm-hmm. right? And that's so crucial. And um, as early as you can find that, then the money will be pouring in, yeah? And of course, um, having, having a good team will also be important, right? Um, because as the, the days get tougher, right, you can't really use capital to buy your CTO mm. on an outsource basis or whatnot, you need to be able to be able to kind of divide the company into smaller pieces so that everybody uh, who are aligned with your mission and buy into your story will be part of the journey. And that will actually ensure that you have a pretty long runway going in because mm. you can't be in the past taking uh, venture capitalist money to basically you know, outsource and have, have your, your uh, tech firm outside Right, build whatever things that you want to change. All those are costing money and it will slow you down as well. So it's important to have a co-founder if you ask me now. Mm. Uh, Angel, on the same note, I know you've kind of peppered uh, what you think uh, should be demonstrated throughout this conversation, but maybe we can consolidate it here. Uh, given the more selective environment for early stage investing, um, how should founders? how can founders best demonstrate the value of their ventures? Right. I think Saikit just now pointed out two different uh, keywords here, right? Product market fit and, um, you know, uh, data points. So let's go with product market fit first. It's much more, it's so easier to say I have product market fit, right? <laughs> like nowadays when we talk about product market fit, I think startups be like, stop talking about it. You know, like we all know about it. But how many startups actually can demonstrate product market fit? 
a lot of startups tend to think that product market fit is a one-off testing thing. But it's, you know, it's, it's not true, right? You, you need to do product market fit testing throughout the entire journey of building a product. Whenever you launch a new feature, you need to do a product market fit. And this journey continues as you expand. And I think that's really uh, important uh, to know from. And second, second of all, really focus on cash generation since day one, right? Mm. Don't burn more than what you can, what you can collect from your customers. You know, one of the biggest mistakes that founders tend to make is really focusing uh, solely just on growth and neglecting cash flow. And this can really lead to a situation where you know startups are growing rapidly and it's burning a lot of cash, and end up you need to you are forced to lay off your team, mm. right? And keep your expenses under control. Really, really important. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to ask this of the two of you: are, are there specific industries right now and moving forward that might struggle more than others to try and you know? Um, raise uh, funds during this winter, you know, and are there some that are more likely to get funding? Well, let me let me start first. I think typically, you know, a high burn, high growth uh, platform business, right, where coming into a two-sided market and all that are known to be not very efficient, right? And um, I think that, that segment might have a bit of an issue, right? And um, to overcome that, some some um, um, co- companies have actually layering some services on top of it, just to make sure that they are they remain relevant. Mm-hmm. Because you know the 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 words that we have not been talking about for some years already is about how do you address the platform leakage? Meaning, once you match the two sided market, they have one transaction. After that, they will actually have their own conversation outside of your platform. Mm. So then then it will just created this. You know, it just creates this kind of a vicious cycle where you continue to use capital to buy mm. tractions, right? So that, that segment will have a bit of a difficulty, but not to say that um, it's end of the road, right? Because ultimately, there is a role for a platform market to be here. So, so I guess at the end of the day, it's about, you know, whether do you have the position to be the number one or number two in the market? I think that that will still remain, and hence all the late stage uh, funds who have got who has amassed quite a lot of capital, or whatnot, they will probably looking around and say that okay, do I have a number one or number two in the market? Right, that's probably one of this. Um, another segment that I probably uh, look at is um, well, I won't call it segment. It's more like another me too, yeah, which still happens these days. Right, you probably come across um, or personally happens to me, you know, another um, um, HR tech, right, with no clear distinction as to why is there a need to disrupt whatever that we already have before this, mm-hmm. right? So if there's no um, clear answer to it, then these guys will probably have a bit of an issue or difficulties in terms of having conversation with uh, venture capitalists. In this mm. case, mm. Yeah. so something that's built for the sake of disruption, as opposed to having an actual value proposition of why it's better. Yeah, some some even come in and say, "Okay, I'm another," you know. But but then when we drill down a little bit, so why are you different? You uh, know, mm, mm. why do we need another one, mm. right? And if you don't have a good answer to it, then you know, then it, there's no reason to exist, right? So so I guess that deep conversation has to be there. It's not because of, you know, I am in this sector, I work with a, a hate hunting company before and therefore I think I can have a go with this. Yes, 
you know, in terms of a founder, yeah, you probably may be the right person to tackle this, but we have to look at, you know, who is going to pay money mm. to to go through the whole hassle, sign up onto another platform, and then what problem are you solving? You mm. know, that is already not being solved by and the multitude incumbent. of other ones. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So so it's not about, you know, having another choice. Yeah, so it's, it's business, mm. right? So I guess that's something that, um, founders need to need to think about it. You know, why now? Mm. Why you? Mm. Right? Why this model? Angel, anything? Uh, uh, any industry sectors that are going to face more difficulties during this time? No, I definitely agree with uh, what Saikit has mentioned. I think to add on to that, right? Um, different investors have different appetite. I think as startup uh, entrepreneurs that are starting uh, to come out to raise fund. I think it's really important to also understand your uh, VCs that you're approaching. What are their backgrounds? What is their investment risk appetite, right? Some investment, some investors tend to find healthcare or even biotech company as risky because it takes a longer period to prove, right? So there are some comp- uh, VC funds that doesn't even invest into manufacturing companies as well. So I think it's really important uh, for startup founders to also try to understand what is their investment appetite from the VC partners and who are the LPs behind it, right? If your business model is able to add value to your my LP, I don't see why not. Mm. Yeah. Angel, one key lesson or uh, success stories from previous funding winters that founders can maybe draw a little bit of inspiration from during this uh, tougher time. Oh gosh. That, <laughs> th- this question always makes me blush. Um, <laughs> So my fiancé runs a B2B marketplace tech company. Uh, many people probably knows about it. And um, I think for the past few uh, years, you know, fundraising have been really tough. You know, they have spoken to really a lot of VCs, like more than 100 different VCs. And just, you know, rejection is it's real. Lah. So we really need to like, you know, absorb with it and, you know, not take it to heart. But at the end of the day, you know, for us VCs, we strike for profitability. And how can we make money from these investments, right? Be thick-skinned is what you're saying. Yes, that's right. Mm. So what he did was really focus, uh, you know, instead of relying on external funding, he changed the model where he focused on creating more values with the clients. And by, you know, creating more values for the customers, right, means that customers are more willing to pay for your services, right? So eventually, because of this mindset of, you know, creating more values for customers, he managed to turn the business around into a profitable business. So, you know, he right now, he has a choice to get external funding or not, right? He attracts a different kind of investors where they are interested in taking them to IPO, profitabilities, and even margins to the next level, right? Why be at the mercy of someone else, right? When you have the choice. So again, like if a boy coming up, starting his career in 7-Eleven can do it, you can do it too, lah. So also looking at the different routes to getting your funding as well, yeah. if you needed, maybe changing that uh, that situation. Um, Saikit, any key, uh, one key lesson or success story from previous funding winters? Well, I guess probably I would like to twist it a bit in the sense that, you sure, know, that we are not short of uh, examples of unicorns or huge tech company created during recessions. Right, you have the Microsoft back in the seventies, you know, all the way until even uh, in the two thousand and eight, right? Facebook came out, right? So, yeah, I mean, you know, human being is is such that you will be very creative when you are resource constrained, right? So, I guess 
I guess at the end of the day, right, during a downtime when things are not getting getting easier for you, right, and it's exactly those founders who will manage to find a way and, and overcome all the challenges and will will be there, you know, because, you know, you, you can't raise a, a, a resilient startup when things are so rosy from day one, you have it no challenges. It can't be easy, right? It can't be easy. Yeah, so, yeah. so during crisis, we'll actually uh, create a bunch of uh, founders who are very resilient and they're, they, they're so tough that they will, they will probably overcome all kinds of challenges ahead of them. So mm. I'm pretty positive, you know, whoever that we are working with, right, especially on the early stage from now onwards, right, we'll probably see a, 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 a good, good uh, cohort right, of uh, strong founders. Yeah. All right, uh, Saikit and uh, Angel, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having me. Folks, we've been speaking with Ng Sai Kit. He's the director at Artem Ventures and chairman of Malaysia Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. Also in the studio with us has been Angel Lo, managing partner at Growth Charger, as well as the principal at The Hive Southeast Asia. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast players. Just look up Enterprise Biz Bites. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay happening after the one News Bulletin. After a series of MA, WS Audiology has become the world's leading hearing aid manufacturer. Uh, we speak to Oliver Chupin, the regional president of APAC, to share this Danish multinationals company, Danish multinationals growth strategy and product development, and whether an affordable hearing aid is within reach for the mass market. I'm Roshan Kanison with Richard Bradbury, and this has been Enterprise BizBytes on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.